You are listening to the regular version of Sexy Marriage Radio, smrnation.com. You've turned on Sexy Marriage Radio, where the best sex happens in the marriage bed. Here's your host, Dr. Corey Allen. Welcome to the dog days of summer. Yeah, living in Texas. Um, yeah, these are our. This is our stretch of hundred hundred degree plus days. Yes, it is. And so wherever you are in this fair land and world of ours, um, we hope that you're finding ways to stay cool, or if the reverse happens to be true, to stay warm. Mm-hmm. Because this is Sexy Marriage Radio, where we want to have more than more than just conversations about weather. We want to have conversations about marriage and life and sex and all that that entails. And we love it when you help us uh, frame where we go with our shows, with your phone calls that come in to 214-702-9565 or to feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. So that way we can get your voice as part of the Sexy Marriage Radio Nation, which is if you're listening to this episode right now, then you're part of the Sexy Marriage Radio Nation. And we're glad that you take the time out each week to spend it with us. And one of the things that's been kind of interesting before we get the show really going this morning, Pam. Yeah. This is my wife, Pam, again, as always. By the Hello. Way, that, uh, so we've been in quite a little uh, transitional uh, seasons, if you will, for us. That, yeah. Um, one of the words that I've had, uh, so I, every year I do three words mm-hmm. following Chris Brogan's lead. And one of my words for 2019 is the word streamline, which yeah. has meant I've spent a lot of time throughout the year uh, just paring down what do we do really well? Let's just do that. Uh, what are some yeah. of the stuff that's extraneous we have that we don't need and we just get rid of that? Yep. And so what we've done now is just kind of interesting because we've always had this a, can- a fifth wheel and a truck and we would travel and do some great adventures. We came back of a, from a month-long trip this summer Yep. and promptly sold Said everything. <laughs> yes, sold it. New new era of life. Indeed. And so it's kind of interesting to think, wow, that's a season that you look back at the, the joy and the memories when the kids were little and all that was done over the five years we were able to do the month-long trips. And now we're looking at what's going to be the next ones. It's kind of unnerving. I, I've There's been this unsettled feeling of... There's been some identity wrapped up mm-hmm. in some of that sure. stuff. And it obviously, when you get rid of things, it can be freeing. That's good. But then again, it's unnerving as to but it, something always comes in to fill in a gap, right? Right. It puts you out into that arena of this is uncharted waters. And a lot of times when we get in places we don't know, uh, it freaks us out. I mean, that's where there is some research that has found we'll choose unhappiness over uncertainty as human beings. Yeah. And so... There's a thing about the devil we know mm, is truly. is why we keep coming back to it, which has kind of been a theme in some of the episodes of Sexy Marriage Radio is we keep coming back to what works last time when you're yeah, talking about listening right? to how people have emailed in and called in right. on, this is my issue. Why is it we're so routine and monotonous at times with, right. with the way sex unfolds? And so it is one of those, you have to realize getting out into an unknown area stretches us mm, truly. until we create a new norm until we create something a little more comfortable within that new area. And then you have to guard against, I can't just always stay there though. Cause I think that's the way we are as human beings is we want to grow and evolve and continue to improve, which means branch out sometimes. Right. And I'm not saying if you've got a camper, you got to sell the thing right now. That's not <laughs> what we're talking not the point. about, but it is interesting just thinking that 
that's kind of set us off into uh, uncharted waters, which is interesting to see where this thing may goes. Yeah. So coming up on today's regular free version of Sexy Marriage Radio, a couple of your questions and our answers. And then on the extended version of Sexy Marriage Radio, which is deeper, twice as long, and there's no ads, you can subscribe at smrnation.com. Pam and I are going to have an in-depth conversation about this concept of, as human beings, do we really do the best we can? Hmm. Um, I would say you're meddling with that one for me personally. <laughs> That's the hope. Yeah. <laughs> All that's coming up on today's show. So let's start off with an email that came into the inbox at feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. Where it says, Dr. Allen, recently my wife of 31 years shared with me that she needs to fantasize to orgasm. Unfortunately, the fantasies are not about me. It's very hard for her to share this information. And then she volunteered that the fantasy usually revolved around strangers in rape or lesbian sex. She's viewed porn about a half dozen times in her lifetime, and I believe that this number is not understated. The images, unfortunately, have been burned into her memory, and this is where she thinks fantasies are derived from. She's never been molested, raped, or had any other lesbian encounters, is what she's saying. We both have no past sexual partners and believe that sex should be safe for marriage. She has absolutely no desire to fulfill her fantasies. She's repulsed by them and is guilt-ridden every time she orgasms with these images in her mind. She's an incredible Christian wife and mother. I personally have struggled with porn in the past and totally understand bringing that imagery into the bedroom. However, I do not need that imagery to orgasm. My arousal comes from my wife and her being satisfied sexually. We've been working together on this, and I've tried to make our lovemaking more intimate by increasing foreplay, massage, candles, and even toys to make it as arousing as possible. Sometimes she's mindful enough to stay in the moment and experience orgasm just thinking about it. However, more times than not, she goes to different imagery, which ultimately leads to more guilt as she's wanting less sex and to a certain degree. So I personally believe that it's because it takes such a long time for her to orgasm. Sometimes it can take her over an hour of oral sex. She gives up and relies on imagery to fast track her way to an orgasm. On the other side, she's, she's totally okay with having quickies and not worrying about having an orgasm. However, that's not what I want. This information has an opposite reaction to our marriage. We feel the past six months has been our best period in the marriage because this new intimacy has not only brought us closer together with more communication and romance. However, we still want to work through this fantasy issue and would appreciate any help or resources you can direct us to. So that's that's super interesting. Um, I guess my question is, the history she doesn't have a history of right um you know he's saying she doesn't have any kind of history of um abuse anything like that right or, or which from the outset let's start um fantasies don't have matter? to just come from histories of things right we don't have to have been exposed to something to have a fantasy of something right and so what would what brings in those different fantasies you know what what would power that type of fantasy for her well, a lot of times then, if you're talking about some of these things that are much more taboo, and I love the fact that they pointed out, it's nothing that she actually wants to fulfill, because that's an important factor. Because a lot of times you can hear or think through, well, I have this fantasy of lesbian sex, or I have a fantasy of a, a full-on orgy with all kinds of people, and all, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and then you can start going through with the rational brain going, mm -hmm. I wonder if that means that's what I really want. 
Right. And then you start going into some of the areas that eh, that might really be way out of line with the way you want to live with your te- integrity and character. Right. So a fantasy is just a fantasy. So one of the things is to try to look at it. Is, I love this is an Esther Perel statement. Fantasies do have, they are, there are, there is very little political correctness in fantasies. Okay. <laughs> because they're just, sure. it's no holds barred. It's free flowing. It's just whatever it is. Okay. And so how do I keep it like that? I just realize, okay. And, and more importantly, and this is where for her specifically real quick up at the start, how do you try to maintain, because it sounds like when any, anytime she thinks of these, she immediately jumps to the guilt and shame. Right. Right. So what could you do if you could try to add in a little bit of layer of curiosity? Oh, I wonder why this. I wonder what, and it's probably been going on. Okay, but try keep to going because I'm to not sus- necessarily tracking here. I, got I don't you. know that that. But it's the idea of how do I guilt. suspend judgment of, I don't need to condemn myself for what my fantasies are doing. Have I done anything morally wrong? Have I sinned? Have I done, you know, if I have a fantasy of that? And I realize this is in a complete gray area. I, I would say it is gray. And I guess I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I can see where she's coming from. There, and, I, you know, I, um, I go back to guilt that I've had, yep. right, for my fantasies, mm-hmm. for things that... Um, just encounters. I'm, I'm putting this out here. Okay, nation, being real here. <laughs> Fantasies that I had about you and I from before we ever got married. Mm-hmm. And my desire is for, for, while that's centered on you, it's still something that wasn't within our marriage bed. It was a time before. Right. right? And so the, from where I want to live and the connection that I want to have with you, that's I want to have a connection now and okay. not from 25, 28 years ago, right? And so there's a connection. There's a, I understand having that guilt because there's something that isn't within who I want to be today. Okay. And so how do you separate yourself from who I want to be versus where my mind keeps going? Okay. So fantasies to- typically... You're talking about this is a way to get the pituitary gland activated, which is what gets the arousal going, gets the lubrication, right? It, so it really comes down. Let's let's start with just some, kind of the steps, I guess, almost. And from from this email, he's saying a lot of times she will go to the fantasies to fast track a result, right? Yeah. That, so. A lot of it can be, how do you start to recognize this on a continuum? And moving the, the needle is improvement rather than total removal is the goal. How do you get it to where a thought enters your head of she could have a rape fantasy that happens just because that's what gets her triggered and going. But how does she not stay with it as long? Okay. Right? How does she go there? Because it's like, okay, hold on. This will get me going. And then I can steer it. And right. I think I think that's improvement. I think it's improvement. I think that person is still going to have if if that's something that currently brings them guilt. How do you get past that by even well, this, having that be? I got to go to that. That's my key to get me aroused. I get it. But over the course of our development and growth as human beings, don't we get better at things the more we can 
kind of investigate, be curious, seek answers and see movement where it's like all of a sudden I was really total procrastinator. And now if I was on a, a level 10 on that scale and I moved it to an eight, that's a big, that's, that's movement. And that's a good I thing to be applauded. Totally agree with you and, there. and that's what he's even talking about. Their marriage has shifted because their intimacy level is completely different because they are much more known with each other. Yeah. And so now they feel a deeper connection, which that's the point anyway. Right. I want to know all of you. And some of what I'm going to know of you isn't always going to be pretty mm-hmm. and can be downright scary. And so how to me, this comes down to And I'm not putting this in a moral argument. Okay, this is a human argument. I need to qualify that. It comes down to how do I suspend judgment more and more for my fantasy life to try and steer it to where it can be that I really want to be engaged in the real time and in the moments. The other side of this conversation that needs to be had is what are these meanings that are associated with the different fantasies? Right. Because if you're talking about a stranger rape fantasy, you're usually talking a, a lot of power, a, a presence, a being taken, a domination. I mean, those, those are kind of real easy uh, paths that will lead to the bunch of different kind of in that same realm, in that okay. same theme. Feelings, emotions. Right. So my question would be for the husband, since he's the one asking the question, how are you bringing your power in good ways to the marriage bed and to the relationship? Hmm. How, how is your presence felt and experienced by you and her? Because there can be a quick little correlation between those two, possibly. Interesting. That there can be an element of, I mean, because there's a lot of women that I've come across in our conversations too, Pam, that they want to feel the power of their husband, mm-hmm. right? That, that that can be a tremendous aphrodisiac. And so there's an element of how, how is he doing that? Because he says sometimes he's tried with the candles and the massage and stuff. And that's not, that's setting an environment. Right. That's not bringing a power. Right. Right. So that's one kind of just, and a lot of these are following hunches, see if it starts to connect some dots. And if mm-hmm. not, we follow a different hunch. Okay. And you see what happens. And then the other one with the lesbian fantasy that oftentimes, from the, the, the stuff I've been exposed to and some of the literature that's out there and conversations with Shannon in the long past, is the tenderness associated with it, the nurturing side of it. And that's where the candles and you're creating an environment that's a much more tender in, environment you're creating together. And so it's looking at what's underneath them. And this is where if I can learn to suspend judgment a little better, I can find paths that kind of that will seek to answer meanings of stuff without the route that is coming playing out in, in the fantasy. Hmm. And so it really comes down to how do I look at this through the lens of what's the dynamic that's going on in me that could be from something way back, right? That's, it's not, it's not a linear, oh, this is what I really want. Or, oh, that time that they took advantage of me. or Oh, that time it was experience. Whatever. It's not that it's a, Okay, I've really longed for a, a closer, more nurturing connection with my mother or an important woman mm-hmm. in, my, in her life. Mm-hmm. Well, how do I cultivate that in a better, healthy, appropriate way now? Yeah. Because sometimes that'll help diminish what that fantasy is kind of playing right now. Okay. And sometimes a fantasy is just a fantasy. It's just an erotic kind of, oh, 
that's kind of curious. And all right, why do I even need to go spend a whole, give it a whole lot of power and even go exploring it? And so I realize this is a nebulous conversation because anytime I get into the world of fantasy, and we've done this over the years of Sex Image Radio, it's all nebulous. It is. Because it's as unique as each person mm-hmm. and their journey, and even as unique as each moment of unique person in the unique, <laughs> in, in right. that, as it moment, all unfolds. Season, right. Whatever. So it can't be applicable to everybody at every time. Okay. Okay. But I do have to say at the end of this conversation, Pam, kudos to them for bringing this forward between the two of them. Yeah, definitely. You got it on the table. You can both deal with it then. It, it, it's not something you're kind of hiding in a corner and that's actually the path to creating a relationship that is intimate right that is connecting that is deeper and it's not just an attachment to outcome so when she's having trouble reaching climax and oral sex has been going on for too long rather than jumping to fantasy what if you were just to own the fact of you know what i'm not here right now and make him also have to deal with the fact of her achieving an orgasm if she doesn't even want it doesn't have to always be his goal too right right (laughs) because for an hour in he wants her to orgasm but she's okay not right he might have to come to grips with you know what it's okay at some point let's just shift this right and connect and create something different in real time together rather than having to bring in the fantasy world right hi Corey and pam In the episode entitled Testing Solidness, Dr. Glover based his theory about the test upon what he perceives as intrinsic qualities of women. He said that women, quote, have the emotional wiring to want to feel safe and to feel protected by the man that she's with, end quote. While something like this intrinsic complementarity narrative is popular within many Christian communities, Before we prescribe or condone this relationship dynamic, we ought to back up the narrative with empirical data, it seems to me. I see this question as having two parts. One, what empirical data do we have to inform what is emotionally, socially, and relationally particular about men and women? And two, What empirical data do we use to conclude that the particularities of maleness and femaleness belong to the intrinsic composition or substance of men and women? In other words, what data helps us to conclude that the emotional, social, and relational particularities belong to nature and not to socialization? Perhaps why I want more supporting evidence is because my marriage and what I perceive as intrinsic to myself and my wife does not really resonate with these wired so-called differences outlined in the show. Without more data, wouldn't we be more responsible to say, if your relationship looks like this, then here are some ways to reframe your thinking and then leave off the whole bit about what belongs inherently to the nature of men and women? Thanks for dealing with my technical and theoretical question. Okay, so from the outset, yeah, I think it, we have to at least acknowledge the fact that when we talk about the different concepts that we cover here on Sexy Merge Radio for the nation, we will go into the stereotypes just because it's easier to explain it that way, but we also have to always add the caveat of this is not always true of every male or every female, as he's pointing out. Right. Right? That, right. 
I think the dynamic is what's true. Mm-hmm. We just t- tend to change this into femaleness or maleness because it just makes the most sense and it, sense and it hits the majority of the audience. Right. Across the board, typically, it's a switch, though, from maleness to femaleness to really high desire, low desire. Would that be a relatively... Well, okay, but let's go Let's go are, characteristics, not just gender, necessarily. Two? Because okay. if you think about it, this is my experience uh, with the clients and the people that I have come across in my life as, as a marriage family therapist. The dynamics between the two people... One will play more of the maleness role, and the other will play more of the femaleness role, even in same-sex relationships. Yeah, and he's got like air quotes going with yes, that, I right? do. But it's because it's there's a dynamic and a synergy that relationships seem to thrive in when those two uh, polars are are manifested. Right. Right. So it's seeing it as. There are a lot of times, and we have good friends, where he would say he's the wife, and she would say she's the ma- the husband, mm-hmm. because of the dynamic and the way they go about life. So, it's going gonna- to... Th- and, and so then my follow-up question, he's like, is that socialization versus nature, right? And so what we peg as the husband and peg as the wife, I, I think you got a combo of... What's nature and what's socialization? Clearly, our bodies, the mothering, the person who actually gives birth to a child, right? There's nature in some of these aspects. Mm-hmm. Certainly, there's going to be some socialization that comes along with it. Absolutely. But I don't know that you can draw a line down the middle to say that it's one or the other. No, no this, the is, this is too fluid and permeable of a line, if you will, that it's interchanged. That when you're getting into the nature versus nurture argument, now you're bringing back grad school to me because we did a whole class on this. Right. And in reality, is it nature or is it nurture? It's both. They're yeah. both playing out all the time. Mm-hmm. Because there were some great seminal studies from way back where there was a, a researcher that said, give me 20 kids, I could raise them, and I could create a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, you know, by just the way I nurture them. And after researching even more, he came back and said, yeah, no, I can't. Can't do it. Right. Because there is something to the way we're wired. There is something to the way we view life, the way things make sense. Mm -hmm. And that's the nature side of things. So it's both. But when you're talking about maleness versus femaleness and the brains, which Mm -hmm. Dr. Glover refers to the, the dynamic that a woman seeks safety and security, Mm -hmm. which I think that's a physical component because most of the time a man makes her feel safer in, in as far as in a wedding, in, in a marriage, mm-hmm. right? That it's like, okay, I know I've got somebody that will meet someone if they come in the door in the middle of the night. I got a yeah. bigger creature that can take <laughs> go, go right. ahead of me. Right. And so some of that's just physical protection. Yeah. But some of the other is if you're talking about, he's talking about, are there any empirical research that, that shows this? There's no difference between a male and female brain other than um, there is some correlation in some of the studies I've seen that show a male brain might be slightly larger by f- some percentage. Okay. But that's also... In proportion or something? That's also physical size, we'll stature. We'll have some MDs out there 
calling into the show. Please and do. Filling in on that. Please do. But then there is one that's interesting to me because it's talking about that the uh, male and female brains are wired differently, though. And what's found is if you're looking at some of just the way the neurology happens in a brain, the circuitry, a woman's brain is much more highly connected between the two hemispheres, the left and right. Okay. Whereas the male's brain is more highly connected from front to back. Okay. And so there's a fluidity to it. And this, the way I see this play out and the way it makes the most sense to me from this, from this data is that a woman's brain most of the time has much more um, connectivity between logic and emotion. Really? Right. Okay. So that's where that's where the moodiness can come from. That's where the change their mind. Well, a woman's prerogative, she's going to change her mind. And all, that's where a lot of that stems from, is that feelings play a higher role mm-hmm. if you've got left and right hemispheres connected more. Okay. Whereas most men don't have that kind of, con- that level of connectivity. They have it. It's just not as... Right. It's there. Absolutely. And, and again... firing back and forth as rapidly. This can still then spin back into the whole nurture argument of there's a lot of men, and this is where Dr. Glover's work was, is resting on a lot, is there's a whole generation of men that have been raised by women. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times we raise people as we see life. So a mom raises a boy, not from masculinity stance. But from the way she thinks. Right, but from the way she thinks. And if she's been done wrong by men or discarded, that's going to trickle down. Hmm. Right? And so that's where the nice guy syndrome that he's he's labeled comes from. Okay. It's because as men, not being quote-unquote masculine men. And again... If this is not a hierarchy of men that aren't coming from their masculine. They're more feminine or bad or wrong. No. no. It's really just how do you play your role as best as it is you? Because that's what well, your relationship is built yeah, on. Yeah, you go back to his call. That's a societal thing, right? Yes. Um, anyway. Right. So so there is some, if you're talking about circuitry, there's, there is some neural pathways that have been found that show that. The differences. Okay. But again, when we go general on the show, we're staying general, but we realize there's exceptions to everything. And so to me, ultimately, what comes down to is how do you play your role best? We've done this with higher desire, lower desire a lot. Mm-hmm. If you're one, whichever one you are, be the best one on that. Well, I think that's part of what we want the nation to be, right? We got a, we got a smart group of people out there. Um, Hear what you're saying, and really, you've got to analyze your own marriage, your own, each of husband and wife within your relationship. You've got to analyze it and understand where each of you fall within right. the topics that we're talking about, right. and and apply that to each of you individually, not down a male female line, but what role do each of you play? Right. So, um, there's got to be some ownership with you as an individual to really break down and understand whether you're reading a book or you're listening to a podcast or whatever it may be. Um, right. You, you've got to apply it to you. Right. So this, this is about the edification and the improvement of 
yourself. Mm -hmm. Whatever role in the dynamic you play, play that role to the best of your ability. That's the point. Well, we say this most every single week, but we really do love the Sexy Marriage Radio Nation. Love the nation. Love the academy. I'm interested to hear what they uh, post today. Yeah, if you missed some of the conversation in the extended, um, you might be good that you missed it. I'm not sure. No. (laughs) Oh, no, it wouldn't be good. But it is just recognizing that uh, the nation's engaged with what's going on Mm -hmm. and that they speak up, they ask their questions. And this is one of the taglines I love for our show right now is if you've got a question and you're not sure where to ask it because you don't want to be like, you have your friends look at you like, really? This is (laughs) where you ask those kinds of questions. 214-702-9565. Because we won't judge. We won't laugh. We won't ridicule. We'll try to answer as best we can. And at least start the conversation because that can be what leads to elegant solutions in your world. So this has been Sexy Marriage Radio. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to spend it with us. We'll see you next time.